this morning for, for a message. If you could turn to you in your Bibles to John 14, if you have them. <clears throat> and I think we'll just continue the thoughts that Brother Leon opened up with. So we think about peace and the troubles that are around us. Maybe before we go any further, we could just bow our, our heads for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this beautiful place to gather together and providing a pleasant atmosphere and the weather for us to think together about you. Thank you, Father, for how you have spoken to us already this morning. And Lord, may you move in our hearts and help us to understand more about you and your will for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so, I uh, would like to, to read a couple verses here shortly, and then, and then I'd like to look at a couple, a couple things about, about this, the verses here to give a context for where our thoughts are going this morning. And then and then I want to tell you a little story and and look at some illustrations of of how that that brings out some some thoughts here in John 14. It's a little bit of of how I want to go about this morning. Uh but one thing I try to do is I like to try to write a little goal sometimes of or when I have something to share of what is the purpose of of our sharing. And this morning, for this morning's thoughts, I, I wrote down this. To stir up our hearts and minds to understand the true meaning in life. And you know, and I thought about it when, when, uh, was it Naaman, when you prayed. And you thought about that the busyness of life or the distractions that come. Um, there's, many types of distractions and some of them were mentioned this morning of the conflicts or the the trials maybe trials that that nobody else knows about maybe there's turmoil in the family maybe there's there's uh maybe it's a troublesome era in in our lives maybe it's the things that that have been brought on by the the changes that covid have brought um to us or maybe thinking a little differently there's distractions in church life sometimes there's conflicts maybe there's competition um, or comparing one among another it, it happens to all of us at some point or another you mentioned briefly just the distractions that can happen by possessions or pursuit of wealth or the lack thereof of wealth so these distractions can 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 become stumbling blocks in our lives to cause us to lose the focus of what is the true meaning in life. <clears throat> and here in John 14, Jesus said, Whither I go ye know, and the way ye know. And then Thomas says, Well, we don't even know where you're going. How can we know the way? 
Jesus says, I am the way. And then he says, I am the truth and the life. But this morning, we want to focus on the way. So let's read some verses here. I think we'll read 1 through 6. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest. And how can we know the way? Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also. And from henceforth ye know him, and have seen him. Stop there, verse 7 instead. So, Often, as we read this passage, the, uh, the thought that comes to our minds, we think about in my Father's house are many mansions. We think of heaven. And the mansions in heaven, and God has a house for you, God has a house for you, He's building places for you. Um, and I believe that Jesus has a real place for us to be with Him when we're done with this life, when God is, our time on earth is done. And John tells us more about that place in Revelation. But I would like to ask you this morning to think about something else that Jesus may have been referring to or, or also referring to. Maybe expand our, our interpretation of these verses a little bit. Jesus is talking about more than just a heavenly place made of gold, gold for concrete, you know, and pearls and emeralds for stones and such like. So first of all, let's go to verse 2. Uh, let's look at mansions, and you've probably, many, various other translations, or refer to mansions as dwelling places. Dwelling places. So actually... We're probably not talking about now mansions as in we drive down the road and there's this fancy house. That's a mansion. But it's an abiding place. Um, it's the same word that's used in verse 23 where he says, If a man love me, he will keep my words and my father will love him and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. This word metaphorically is referring to God the Holy Spirit indwelling in believers. It's a staying place, an abiding place, a dwelling place, an abode. <clears throat> so you know, he says here, there are many dwelling places. It's not just about you, or you, or you, or you, or me. But it's about many dwelling places with God. For everyone. Now, another thing I want to draw your attention to is 
my father's house. What is my father's house? Where did Jesus drive the money changers and the merchants out of? It was the temple, my father's house. Jesus used that term to refer to the abode of God, or in that case, the temple. And Jesus cleansed the temple, his father's house, and today, where is the temple? The temple is you with God. Wherever there is an abode with God. Now, I'm not here, I don't want to, to make it sound like I think that there's no heaven involved here, necessarily, but the point is two things. One is, what makes heaven heaven is our abiding with God. The second thing, and maybe this is a little bit more something for us to think about this morning, is that abiding in God starts at conversion. You know, there is, as many things in the kingdom of God, there's a foretaste or an appetizer of what's to come. And Paul talks about being in heavenly places in this life. And so... Eternal life starts now. What is eternal life? To know God and His Son, Jesus Christ. At the same time, I'd also like this morning to build an anticipation of Christ's return in our hearts. But just a little bit more yet about going to prepare a place for you. Where was Jesus going? Where is John 14, 15, 16, and 17 is just before he went to the cross. I go to prepare a place for you. And then it is finished. I am making a way. He says, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. I am making a way for you to get to this abode. And I really believe that that abiding Christ um, is something we can experience now, and we have that. And we, we read John 15, and we, 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 we understand that. And I also look forward to the day of abiding with the Father, with God, without the conflict of temptation. And so, let's be busy as long as we're here, but I'm also anxious to go. And you know, I thought about this a lot when we, when Matthew and I took this trip to Tadaida, so a little bit of context. The only way to get there is on a cargo plane, a DC-3. Now, if you look up a DC-3, they stopped making them um, 70 years ago, I think. Close to that, maybe. No, it was more than that. 75 to 80 years ago, they stopped making them, okay? But the only way to get there is on a DC-3 cargo airplane, and they have a number of passenger seats along the side. You're sitting there along the 
the windows, your back to the windows, and right in front of you is a big net to try to keep all the cargo over against the other wall. And if you're flying in, it's gonna be anything that anybody thought about wanting back at the military post or, or if some indigenous people had enough money to buy something. And on your way out, it might be feed sacks of fish. And you get to smell that the whole way wherever you're going. Um, so this airplane flies normally once a week from one more major town closer to the, the central of Columbia, kind of like the last town, makes a hop, um, normally one, two, three, about two or three hops down. Eventually the last hop is Leticia, which is the farthest southern point of Columbia. And then um, maybe the next day or soon thereafter, they make their hops back through and return to San Jose de Guaviare. The point is, when you get there and you do your business, you're there until that airplane comes back. And when it comes, they don't give you a lot of warning and they're not there long. And if you're not at the airplane waiting, you miss it. And you have to wait another week. I want to tell you, I never had to wait another week. I was there more than once, or at least on that trajectory. Never missed an airplane, because you're there waiting several hours before the airplane might arrive within a running distance of the airstrip, and when the airplane comes in, you're waiting at the airplane while they're loading and unloading. Let's not miss our Jesus when he comes to get us. So how does that work? How can we be in this way and be abiding in Christ? <clears throat> Back here he says, he starts out, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus says, believe in me. And, and later on, he says, you know, believe me, at least just look at the things that I'm doing, the works that I'm doing, and believe me because of that. <coughs> but what does that look like? What does it look like to believe in Jesus? And I thought about the childlike faith. You know, sometimes, what, what is a childlike faith? Sometimes, we know too much. And we don't believe in God because of that. Sometimes, we're filling our mind with things we really don't need to know about or focus on or be, have our minds involved in. What about... I don't know what what illustrations there are. What about politics? What about pursuits that really are not about Jesus Christ or or what we really need to know about to get through this life? Distractions. You know, sometimes the less information, sometimes we think we can handle that information, but we can't. It causes us to distrust Jesus Christ and 
I was just, I think I heard of it before, but I had forgotten about it, that yesterday, this um, Doug White, in, in April 12, 2009, he had, he and his wife and two daughters went to his funeral, his brother had died, and they chartered an airplane to fly there, and or at least to fly back. Ten minutes after takeoff in this, this King Air, two-engine turboprop, the pilot apparently died. At least he was unconscious. Now, Doug White had, years ago, learned how to fly a Cessna, but he didn't know a thing about this airplane. Fortunately, he had climbed up in the co-pilot seat just out of interest and was asking the pilot questions in the first 10 minutes of their flight. He learned enough to, he knew how to, to radio down to the control towers. Long story short, he landed the plane successfully. And that was a miracle in itself. The controllers, the, the air traffic controllers gave him a 5% chance of survival. Now, the thing is, the thing that really stuck out to me as I listened to their exchanges. And, you know, air traffic controllers generally are not licensed pilots but they scrambled around till they could find somebody who happened he was just about leaving work. It was a pilot and they helped direct them to the next uh, place where they could land the airplane and they, there was no pilot there, but somebody had a friend in Connecticut that they called and was a, a flight instruction, so they relayed information. He was almost sometimes frustrated they didn't give him more information, but they tried to just give him enough of information but not too much. Just enough so that he could land this thing successfully because he could have easily completely messed up because this thing was so much more complicated than anything he'd ever flown before. And so he might have been there asking questions. What does this do? What does that do? What does the other thing do? So okay, you just fly this thing like you're flying a Cessna. You just fly it manually. You do this until it feels about right. You do that until it feels about right. Try to keep your speed at this. Forget autopilot, if, if it's doing the wrong thing, just do this, and he landed. Because, why? He just took the information he needed and applied it until the next step. Then he got that information and applied it until he got to the next step. What about you and God? What about your journey through life? I see this difficult situation out here. I have no idea how I'm going to land this thing. When we get there, we'll figure that out. <clears throat> you know, what about trusting the Father even when we see insecurities along the way? Or how about when those problems arise because of errors from other people. <clears throat> now, on this particular occasion, when we were in Tadaida back in December, we were waiting for this airplane. And when the airplane finally did come, he ran off the runway into the mud along the side. At least his one wheel sunk down in. We're like, well, we don't know when or if we are leaving. So, 
they unloaded, we went out there and unloaded a bunch of cargo, tried to make the airplane lighter. Long story short, they got it back on the runway, the combination of 20 or 30 people pushing and dump truck hooked up somewhere. Got the thing back up on the runway, drove it back to where they were actually supposed to park. And the pilot, other people involved, the owner of the airplane, called different people back in their headquarters and tried to make some decisions, so we fly on. Thankfully, the mechanic, who always flies along on these routes, looked over the landing gear a little bit, the tire that looked like it was bent out of shape, came back into shape, he thought it looked fine. The pilot was over, or at least he was going to be over time, and he was rushed and didn't want to spend the night in some little village in the middle of nowhere. After a little bit, they said, we're going. I was standing there close by, I was like, well, you know, I do want to go, but if God doesn't want me on this airplane, I'm not going to force my way onto it. Matthew was there with us, with me. But we got on. And we flew to the next little stop. Everything landed fine, so okay, this is good. But he's rushed. And they have a fuel stop. So what they do is they boat in fuel on barges to these points so they can refuel. And they put it in these 55-gallon drums. <clears throat> they roll the, the drum up the wing and siphon it into their, their fuel tank. In this particular case, this one had the original engines on. Some of them are re-engined, but this is the old high-octane gasoline, 1,200 horsepower, each of their engines, huge things. And in their hurry, they spilled gas all over the airplane wing. And uh, like, hey, hey, we lost five minutes here. We got to get going. We got to get going. So they got it all taken care of. Of course, the gas was still there. Hopped in the airplane. We're all in there. He turns the engines on and all of a sudden he shuts off and hollers, fire! Now we're sitting there on top of these, these wings basically. And I don't know, I, I like to study how airplanes, why they wreck and why they don't. And, and you know some of those things, sometimes you know too much, right? <laughs> um, well, the mechanic had already boarded the airplane, everybody was on board, and as soon as he hollered fire, the mechanic turned around, grabbed his fire extinguisher, ran out to the engine where apparently a spark had ignited something. He got the fire out. But in the middle of all that, there's a whole row of people between me and the door, and Matthew's right here beside me. I was like, this thing's gonna explode any minute. And they're just sitting here like this. I don't know what to do, this is strange, but finally we started trying to, to work our way to the back of the airplane, and just like that, they must have gotten the fire out. The pilot fired the engines back up. And of course that, all that airflow slammed the huge cargo door right in into the side of the airplane. Long story short, the mechanic climbed in, airplanes turned on, we're sitting there, we're gonna, we're gonna fly yet. 
And we did. <laughs> Matthew told me I was never in an airplane that started on fire before. And I was never in an airplane that took off right away afterwards. But God knows those things. Can God can keep you where you are no matter why or how the danger occurs. You know, when we... And one of those airplanes did actually crash earlier that... a little over a year ago. And one of, one of our... One of our Colombian brothers had flown on the airplane before it crashed. And, and so it makes you think, but it's the only way to get to this place, basically. But when we landed in Leticia and we could walk to our houses, like, we're not going to fly in that airplane again unless we really, really know we're supposed to be there. We're talking about believing God. You know, I want to say this yet about believing God before we move on. There are counterfeit securities. And we... If we believe God, we must refuse those counterfeit securities. And I thought about it there in Tadida. There's gold mines. And they have plans of how this is going to work out. The wealth is going to get distributed. Everybody's going to be happy. Maybe, maybe I could stay there and have a good life. We all know how those stories usually end, and I'm not too hopeful about that situation. But what securities are you and I hanging on to that keeps us from following Jesus all the way? Total abandonment for Christ. And then, and then what about believing even in the good times? You know, sometimes... Sometimes it's easy to believe God when that's your only option. But what about a face that latches on to Christ to follow Him even if there's something that feels very comfortable beside that? I want to just, just look at one more thought yet here about the way. <clears throat> what is the way? Say about believing. And you know, believing, there is no belief that doesn't affect the outcome of our lives or that does not affect how we live. There's, there's no, there's a belief. If it is a belief, it's going to make us do something about that belief or else it's not a belief. And Jesus talks about, if you love me, keep my commandments. You know, I often think about David. I mean, he wrote Psalm 119. 
His love for God is a love for God and all that He is. Who He is, His attributes, the laws that make God who He is, and His love for that. So, this way, where was Jesus going? I go to prepare a place for you. And He goes to the cross. And His journey through the Garden of Gethsemane and before these, uh, the Sanhedrin or the, the high priest and then Pilate, the, the ridicule, the mockery, and then the cross. So we want to be followers of Jesus. But followers of Jesus is following Him to the cross so that we might have new life. I was really struck with a, another story happened many years ago in Venezuela. The Yanomami people, generations of retaliation, you kill somebody in my tribe, I'll kill somebody in your, in your village. Not just your people group, but your village. And it doesn't have to be the person that killed my uncle or my father, but I need to kill somebody in your village. And then they have to kill somebody in my village. It goes back and forth and back and forth. And so many people die because of this. Even if somebody died of quote, natural causes, it was probably because they called a spirit to come kill somebody in our village, and so we need to do the same thing over there. There's a man named Shoefoot because he wore shoes. He, he was trained to be a shaman or a, a witch, not a witch doctor, but the... the spirit leader in their in their village probably included being the witch doctor but he he became a christian and he ended up being a leader in his village in the middle of many other villages and they came to know that this village was different and when people would come and try to do harm on them, it didn't work the way they expected it to. But you know, after a while that gets old to not be able to retaliate against people that do things against you. Unless you keep coming back to the cross. Something like that happened here in his village. And Shufa had gotten so tired of this retaliation thing. When, when something happened, a person got stolen from their community, the neighboring village stole them, and they sent back taunts that said, you know what, you're too cowards, you're not going to come and, and get her back or hit somebody's head open, or that's the way they live. And finally, the people in the village said, we need to go do something. 
and Shoefoot was thinking of a different way, a little bit more patience, maybe, maybe the guards could get involved, maybe something could happen, but we can't go kill somebody. Finally, everybody in the village left to attack this village, except for Shoefoot. He stayed in his village. So he's there, he's praying. He can't sleep. He goes to try to do something where his wife is, up with, with whatever she's doing. That doesn't, doesn't work. He goes back to the church, the little church building. And I'm not, don't remember exactly how long it was. If it was a couple days, it was more than one, one day at least. They came back. And what was very interesting was, while, while they, they were still, they were successful in their minds in clubbing some people, nobody was killed. Nobody was killed. And so they had no right in their world of justice. That village had no right to come back and harm them or at least attack them. But I think what struck me the most was Shufa. His rejection of that retaliation mentality. I don't think you and I normally think about going and killing somebody because they harmed me or they ruined my ego or my reputation. But what about this tit-for-tat thing? Can I lay that at the cross, the way of the cross, so that there can be new life? Sometimes I think maybe Shufoot was a more mature Christian than some of us, than me. What about in our brotherhood, in our church life, laying down myself? For the good of the others. <clears throat> Let's lift up our eyes. There's so many things to get distracted with. So many things, but you know, in a sense, maybe the troubles or the difficult situations can be a wake-up call to us. To rise to the challenge. To believe Him. To believe Christ. To believe God and follow in the way. And I want to I wanna close with with what with what um, what John said and I'm going to read Revelation 22:20. Jesus said the one who testifies to these things says yes I am coming soon and what did John say amen come Lord Jesus may God bless each one of you